Welcome to episode number six of the HomeMusicStudio1.com podcast. Today I want to talk to you just a little bit about the process of recording a song, so don't go anywhere. Hey guys, Dave Maxey here. Welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks again for joining me. Been having a good time. Hope uh, that you are and hope everything has been going good as far as your week. Uh, this has kind of been one of those weeks for me, but hey, we're getting it done regardless. Uh, in just a minute, I want to talk to you about some of the things that I do in the process of recording a song. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get there. I want to mention just one quick thing before I do. I have moved uh, my my gear. Had a couple conversations with some people this week and uh, just kind of looking at some of the pictures that I put online and uh, just asking me what my setup is. And I've shared with you uh, before that I'm actually in a rental home, and that's still true. Uh, we had some issues with the basement area where my gear originally was. And uh, so now I am back upstairs once again, and I'm in a different location in a different space. And this is literally day one. And so I've got to do some things to just kind of tune up and treat this room a little bit. However, um, the room I am sharing with, I'm sharing with my daughter, my youngest. And so uh, she's just a, a little over six months old. And so I've got a crib in here, which is great for sound uh, baffling and sound dampening and, and dithering on the, the noise and the bounce, right? Um, but uh, I'm sharing sharing a space. And so I just want to mention one quick thing that you may find helpful because the, the original creation of Home Music Studio One is literally, the, the mindset is this, guys. You know, prior to my home recording stuff, I had access to a major Pro Tools rig with Alan and Heath, uh, live uh, mixing console, and very large room, nice, great space to set up with. Everything, uh, you know, single single track, multi-tracked with uh, right into Pro Tools and just a, just a great deal. Very, very expensive. Lots of thousands and thousands of dollars into gear. Well, that's not the, the equipment and the gear that I have personally. That's just stuff I've been able to work on throughout the years. And so here I am in my own uh, home recording setup trying to just find ways to do more with less rather than trying to you know break the bank and buy more gear. How do I use the things that I have in order to do more with that? And one of those things is the space. And uh, I'm in I'm in a room that's probably about 12 foot by 10 foot, and uh, it's got an eight foot ceiling in it. The whole thing is drywall, and there are two windows in here. And uh, one of the first problems I realized right off the bat is the rear window. Uh, it's actually toward the back of our house here that we rent, and, and it's facing the road. And so threw the headphones on and uh, hopped onto my my mixer just to hear exactly what was going on. And it just took me a second to realize every time a car drives by, I can hear it. Every time a truck, a semi, whatever it was, just going down the road, I can hear it plain as day in my mix. And so what do I do? Um, something that, uh, you know, I'm in a rental, so I can't just knock out a window and I had to get a little creative. So here's what I did. And maybe you're in a similar situation and this might help you a little bit. That's why I wanted to share it with you today. Um, went down to the Home Depot here. Shameless plug if you're a Home Depot guy. Hopefully, I don't get sued for mentioning them. Uh, but anyway, went down, uh, grabbed some insulation. It was on sale, uh, R30, and uh, no batting as far as the paper side of the insulation, just batting on both sides. 
Uh, I think that's the the official name of it. And so no no paper on the insulation. And so um, it took that, and then I took a piece of fabric and just used uh, um, some of my wife's extra fabric with some uh, small finish nails. Took those finish nails and I laid that fabric over the face of the window and just just tacked it right around the trim area. Something that could easily it's got white trim, so I could uh, fill in those finish nail holes and 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 then uh, you know paint over it if I needed to when we move out at some point. Uh, got the fabric inside the window covering all of the glass and, and all the entire part of the window. And then I cut two pieces of the R30 and laid them uh, vertically into the window. And then once I laid them in the window, I, I tacked a, a few um, just going crossways, two more finish nails in the top and the bottom, and then also sideways, and just took some string and went, uh, ran that string up down the window, two two strips, one on either side of that fab, or one on either side of the insulation, and then going horizontal as well. So basically, I just made a cross hatch pattern with some string to hold that insulation in there. And then I took one more piece of fabric and covered the whole back of that insulation as well and tacked that back in place. And um, then the curtains were able to just kind of close over top of that so it doesn't look like, you know, crap. Okay. Uh, But what I found, it made a huge difference of just absorbing the sound coming from the back end of my house. And so maybe that's helpful to you is just kind of had to get a little bit creative. Uh, I know I did a post a little while back about the uh, Auralex Ruminator kits, and those are awesome, very affordable. But in my situation, I had to do something quick, and uh, it was something that just a little studio foam was not going to take care of. Had to get a lot more absorption on there, but I could not build a soundproof wall. And so uh, it just proved to be something that worked out very well for me. So maybe it's an idea in your situation that can help when we move out. Uh, Again, I don't own the house. We're renting. I can just simply uh, pull that insulation back out, pull those finish nails out, fill in a little bit of holes, and then just do some touch-up paint, and we will be all set. Uh, That said, I still got a little treating that I'm gonna I'm trying to get creative with this room. Uh, I do have a couple blankets pinned up right now just to help dither and, and dampen the sound just a little bit to kind of break the bounce up because it is drywall. Uh, I'll be getting uh, with RLX and, uh, and tuning in uh, a room uh, diagram to those guys and just to get their opinion on where they think I should treat a little bit of stuff. But I'll, I'll get back to you on what I'm doing creatively wise, seeing as, uh, you know, I can't really put anything glued to the wall. So uh, I'll, I'll probably use some finished nails and I can stick some, uh, some of that um, studio foam kind of right on top of finished nail. We'll see how it goes, but I'll keep you posted on that. Just thought you might be interested. Uh, it might sound a little different. The podcast, as far as the, the liveness of this space is a little bit more than uh, what I had been able to do in the downstairs area. And so... With that, let's get into a little bit of what I want to share with you guys today. I want to talk about the process that I use of recording a song, and I'm just going to give you a few things that I do. Some of this is a little bit of of what I do in order, uh, and then some of this is just uh, some some tips that are going to help you, and just some things to think about as you're putting together a song and you're recording uh, predominantly uh, your tracks in the way of um, music. I know some of you guys do voiceovers and those kinds of things. Some of this applies 
applies to that, but in general, this is more about how I would record a song. Just getting ready to cut um, kind of the next track that I'm working on personally for a new song that I'm working on, and I'll be keeping you updated on the process of that. And I thought, hey, uh, maybe just how kind of a general overview would be helpful to you guys. And so, and uh, thanks, by the way, for all the great feedback. I've been really getting a lot of good information. I want to encourage you to continue to to just give me your thoughts. Uh, that really does help me. I know I say this every podcast, but I really mean it. Uh, you know, the more I hear from you guys, the more I can give you information that is helpful to you. And uh, I don't really want to be answering questions that no one is asking, but you guys have been really good to give me that feedback. And so keep it up. So here we are, the process of recording a song. Um, the very first thing that I want to encourage you to do is something that I do when I'm getting ready to record any song. Uh, and, and that is pretty simple. I make a roadmap of, of what the song is going to look like from start to finish. And uh, for you, this could be anywhere from just a simple chord chart on into maybe you're more musically inclined, you got a little more professional training, uh, and you got sheet music, uh, you know, whatever it is, and anywhere in between, maybe use rhythmic charts. Somewhere you need to be able to establish the roadmap of your song. And by roadmap, I mean intro, uh, verse, uh, lift, chorus, bridge, all those types of things. Where are all these pieces going to go? And to be able to process what that looks like and kind of be able to get your brains churning on, on what types of things you're going to go, uh, you're going to try and track and, and put where. But it really helps to have a big picture of what the roadmap looks like. Kind of the whole thing combined together can be extremely helpful. So that's really the first thing that I do. This new song that I'm working on, I'm still writing parts of it actually, but as I'm as I'm getting ready to, uh, you know, just cutting some scratch stuff right now, working with melodies, I'm, I'm developing a roadmap of where things are going to go. And rather than just do it all from memory, uh, it, it, I'm, I've got actually just a, a typical chord chart. You know, it's got lyrics and chords written above it. That helps me just to begin to make notes. Hey, a, a guitar would be really cool in here, or some pad here, or some strings, whatever. Uh, you know, I want the drums to come in here. Building a roadmap on paper, writing it down, and being able to make notes as you go along can be extremely helpful. And it's actually the very first thing that I do when I'm getting ready to record. It just really helps me kind of mentally put those things into place. Now, from there, the very first thing I record. Um, is either a rhythm instrument with a click or I begin to build the drum line with a percussion. And uh, you need to, right off the bat, you need to establish some type of tempo. Now, many of our stuff has a click built right into your DAW. I use sonar right now. Um, just happens to be where I'm at at the moment. You might be using Pro Tools or, or Logic or any other thing that's out there. You need to lay down the tempo first. And uh, I would encourage that to be MIDI if possible. Gives you the ability to change that as you're going along. And, uh, and maybe you're building a, a MIDI drum track. If you're using audio, that's fine as well. But you're going to need to just right off the bat establish what your timing is going to be. And so the very first thing I, I cut, I lay down is either a rhythm with the click and, and that rhythm is probably just going to be a scratch rhythm or if if my song has got a full drum track in it uh, like this particular one I'm working on is a little more of a ballad so some parts of the song are literally not going to have any full kit in it whatsoever so I'm going to lay down a, a click with a scratch rhythm and then I'm going to come back through and I'll build the actual drum tracks in the areas that I want them and so there, those drum tracks I'm going to be uh, using there it's basically going to be sampled sounds that I'm going to be triggering through MIDI and um, I'm, I'm looking at my gear here. 
um, I just got uh, Sonar X1 producer, and so um, there's a there's a cool little drum production little uh, deal in here that I'm going to get a little bit of a chance to kind of experience with and uh, and play around and see exactly what this looks like here. Uh, and so I'll, I'll build my the rest of my drum stuff in there. But right off the bat, very first thing you need to do establish your tempo. Okay, get that laid out. Everything that you do from there on is going to lay on top of that. And you really, even if you've got a ballad or uh, you've got percussion and maybe it's not a full, uh, you know, full actual groove going down with the kit, make sure you have a click going on. Record everything to timing, okay? And um, the next thing from there that I usually lay down is going to be my bass line. So I'll put my bass line and my drums right in there, lock them in pretty tight to begin with. And uh, I'm not too concerned in the initial stages about EQing those, but when when it comes to tracking, then that's the first thing I do. So whatever you need in your situation that locks down your tempo, do that right off the bat. And then secondly, I always add uh, my bass guitar into that. And so when I'm done with those two things, if I've done a click track with a rhythm, now I've got also an instrument that is going to establish what the vocal is going to sing over as well. I'll usually leave that in there as kind of a scratch. And then I'll throw a scratch vocal in there as well and begin to shape all that around my bass and my drums that are giving me my actual timing and laying down the groove. And then uh, and begin th that vocal just kind of is more of a reference. And outside of those uh, initial pieces, I'll begin to add things along uh, just as, as kind of I, I hear them and as far as what I think would go in where, begin to put the other parts in place. And then at the very end of all, you know, whatever guitar lines I want to add in there and whatever overdubs, whatever keys, whatever else I'm going to put in there that are more auxiliary instruments, uh, I'll begin to do that with a scratch vocal and then the main bass, main um, drum line already uh, being the first things I've recorded. And when I say scratch, I basically mean something that I can sing, but what I'm going to do when it's all said and done, when the whole track is relatively generally mixed, got some automation going on, I'm going to go back through and usually cut the lead vocal as the very last thing that I do. Uh, and that's just more of a personal taste for me being a musician. I, I get more inspiration from hearing the whole piece together. And so that's kind of a general overview um, of, of how I would do some things. Uh, again, just to kind of a quick recap with that. Lay down whatever you need to establish your tempo first. Maybe it's a click track uh, with some type of rhythm so you have a reference of where the song is at. Uh, or uh, it may be a drum line with, uh, you know, just a full drum from start to finish, anywhere from hi-hat to a full kit. And then uh, stick your bass along with that and establish that rhythm section first. And then I usually add a, a scratch lead vocal so that you have a reference of where the song is at at any point in the song. And from there, begin to build out from there with all your auxiliary things. That way you're building on top of your timing and you have a general flavor and feel of the dynamics. Uh, now that said, let me just give you just a couple other things to think about when you're building your tracks. And these are just a few things that have been very helpful to me and just I kind of default uh, in, in these modes when I'm, when I'm recording. And one of them is when uh, you get all your tracks cut, the very first thing I physically do on the technical side of those tracks uh, is I normalize them usually to about negative three, negative two. And uh, most of the time, if I'm recording with compression, it's very, very light. Uh, usually, I don't record with compression at all, but sometimes, every now and again, maybe to take one or two dB off just to kind of have a little control. But for the most part, those tracks are going in relatively dry, almost do, don't do anything whatsoever with EQ, uh, other than maybe a little cut on, on the 80 or, or even 100, but most of the time, it's, it's 80, uh, even sometimes a little lower than that, depending on whatever instrument 
instrument I'm recording, usually that has to do with vocals. If I'm laying down a vocal, I may cut a little bit of that lows, but usually, again, not a whole lot. I do most of that in post. But once those tracks go in, regardless of the instrument, uh, usually the first thing I'm doing to that track is I'm normalizing it to negative three, negative two. And what that is doing, if you've got that normalizer function uh, as a plugin on your gear, it's looking at the peak volume is what I'm after. It is establishing the peak volume of those tracks so that it never goes above negative three, negative two. And the reason I do that is that gives me headroom to begin to EQ and to begin to add my plugins without usually getting clipping on that channel right from the bat. Because if you got a really hot, loud signal on your track and then you send that over to your auxiliary buses using effects or eventually getting over to the main bus, you start getting clipping really quick as you start adding those tracks. So usually I normalize them guys right to negative three and that's a, that's a big help. And then the second thing that I find myself doing before I really spend a whole lot of time mixing is what I call scrubbing the tracks. And what I end up doing is I go through each track, whether it's a vocal line, um, bass line, guitar, whatever it is, and I look for the unnecessary parts of those tracks. And if it's a vocal line where, say, there's an intro and there's a, there's several bars where the vocal doesn't need to be, uh, I will literally just go in and chop that section out or highlight that section and drop a gain down absolutely to zero uh, so that I don't have any extra noise in my tracks that is necessary. And uh, scrub scrub the tracks is really what I call that. And so um, you got to be careful on things like drums. I, I'm really careful on, uh, on bleed through. When you're recording a live kit or you're building something together, you kind of have to think about that as an entire instruments and uh, you know so I don't necessarily go through uh, and scrub every little uh, you know hi-hat out or every little kit everything in between some isolation is good by using gating on the, your tracks as far as drums but be careful when you're scrubbing them out don't take everything out usually I leave them roughly how they are but I look at kind of the whole of the song does the does the drum kit just maybe keep hat on a timing uh, or maybe is the kit completely gone in a in a verse if so, then I maybe would take that section out so there's there's no extra hiss or no extra noise there that doesn't need to be there. Uh, but scrub your tracks. Pay attention to what you've got where, especially with auxiliary things. If you've got a keyboard line that just comes in in one spot, take out the the rest of the track that there's literally no audio. Rather than just have some some dead sound in there, take out the things that are unnecessary, things that you you do not need as you're building that along. And that just I just find that it helps things to be a little bit cleaner in the end. Um, from there, guys, there's really a lot more that I do. Obviously, in 20 minutes, I'm not going to tell you, you know, be able to include the whole process. But I just thought those are a couple of things I wanted to highlight for you in the process of recording a song and kind of putting those things together. And we're going to be dealing with a little more of this. As I said, working on a brand new tune uh, that uh, I've, I'm still kind of in the process of writing. And so I'm going to be tracking that here pretty quick and, and building that kind of with my new setup. Uh, this will be kind of the first time with sonar and, and definitely in this room that I'll, that I'll be able to use kind of all this gear together. So I'm going to kind of keep some of that posted with you guys along the way and uh, and give you some pointers of how I'm, I'm doing this and, and let you maybe hear pieces of that as well. And uh, that said, hey, hopefully this has been helpful to you. Uh, before I let you go, I want to mention just a couple things that are coming up really quick. Uh, I mentioned uh, in, in some of the last episodes uh, that I've got some training things that are on the horizon. Uh, I'm just a, a few weeks away from being able to, to 
to unveil some of that, the beginning portions of that, and, and be looking for uh, some very specific uh, products on training in the area of dynamic compression. I get a lot of questions about compression. And uh, so I've put together uh, a video curriculum, video training. It's going to be about five, six videos. I'm almost uh, toward the, the tail end of this. I, I think we'll land about six videos. going to be talking about uh, lots of different things in relation to dynamic compression. Uh, what does everything do? The difference between a live compressor as far as a rackable unit or an outboard unit compared to a plug-in. You know, what types of things should we, you know, we use compression on? How do we use compression? Side-chaining, multi-band compression, using multi-band compression as a DS, or there's going to be a lot of things that, I, that I'm, I've covered in this uh, video series. And so uh, I want to just keep that kind of out there to the forefront because we'll be releasing that pretty soon. And so if that's something that interests you, um, you know, it'll probably be good for you if you want to hop on the mailing list and you'll be first to get the information when I release that out. And uh, also I'll, I'll end with this. If this has been helpful to you, period, you know, I want to encourage you, why not Why not get on the, the mailing newsletter list? It's a completely free thing that I do on email. And uh, it's just something that I do to send out kind of very specific information to those of you that are, are following me on the podcast and on the blog. And um, all you got to do is just uh, head on over to homemusicstudio1.com slash newsletter. And uh, on the right-hand side there, you'll see the sign-up form there. Just throw in your primary email address. And just in exchange for uh, getting on the free weekly newsletter that I that I put out, uh, I've got a small, uh, very helpful ebook uh, that answers a lot of the questions about how a compressor works and in general using or understanding compression in the home music studio. And so that's a free ebook that I'd love to get into your hands. That's just a, my thank you for signing up uh, for the newsletter. And then from there, uh, every week I send out information that just keeps you updated on what's going on and lots of new tidbits. And um, definitely as uh, as I begin to unroll the, the training products, you'll be the first to find out about that. So with that, hey, uh, once again, love to hear from you. If you got any feedback or, or comments, um, you know, hop on to iTunes and I would love to, to get a few uh, positive ratings going. And, uh, you know, some of you have said, man, I really love the podcast, Dave. Well, hey, you can really help me out by just uh, giving me a rating uh, in, in iTunes and that lets other people know that, hey, you might want to check this out as well. And thank all of you for the feedback. Hopefully this has been helpful to you. Uh, give me more questions. I'd love to answer more of your questions in future podcasts. And, uh, and blog entries. And so uh, thanks again for joining me. This is Dave Maxey with uh, Home Music Studio One Podcast.